We're looking at John chapter 2 as we continue a theme from last week. I'm not going to take time to review a lot of last week. The message is online if you want to take a listen, and you can put the two teachings together. But the scripture this morning is John chapter 2. Jesus has begun his ministry. He's been baptized in water. The Holy Spirit came upon him and uh, driven into the wilderness. And and now as he's begun his ministry, his first miracle actually was not so much one he was looking for. His mother kind of imposed it on him. They ran out of wine, and so he turned water into wine at a wedding reception in Cana. But uh, now we see really his first act as the anointed of God, the Messiah, is found in this text when he came to Jerusalem into the temple court. And we read these words in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 16. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Last Sunday, we looked at how the activities of the demonic, of the devil, the powers of darkness, how oftentimes they just go unchallenged in believers' lives for long periods of time. Uh, People who have received Christ as their Savior, and yet they never seem to be able to really live in or experience the fullness of the freedom that Jesus has come to give us. And part of the reason I believe for that is a misunderstanding that salvation not only includes, includes forgiveness from our sins, which is glorious and wonderful, and that's where our new life all begins, but salvation doesn't just stop with the forgiveness of our sins. The work of salvation also has to do with the ongoing freedom that we can grow in and experience in our walk with Christ, freedom from every foothold the devil tries to establish in our lives. Now, by definition, a foothold is simply this. It is a secure position from which further progress may be made. Does that make sense? A secure position from which further progress may be made. The devil doesn't look to have footholds in our lives because he has nowhere to live. He wants to establish a foothold that becomes a stronghold so that from that position, he's able, like a sniper, to keep taking shots at you, to keep doing things that frustrate you and really foil God's plan for your lives. The Bible says in Colossians that Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. In other words, what the Bible teaches is that the miracles that Jesus accomplished through his death on the cross in taking our place, dying for our sin, overthrowing the powers of hell, rising from the dead, and giving that authority to us as believers, the work that Christ has done through the cross is for the purpose of us understanding that the devil has lost all his authority. He no longer has authority in the way that he did, especially in believers' lives. But what he does have is ability. And where his ability lies is in the power of deception to actually make you believe he has more power than he really does. It's to deceive you and to try to influence you and find areas of control in the way you think and the way you behave. Now, When we talk about deliverance, which is just another name for freedom, when we talk about deliverance in the church, sometimes people get nervous, and sometimes people just dismiss the whole teaching out of hand, mainly because over the years, 
there have been some things that have happened in the name of deliverance that probably shouldn't have happened. You know, it's an area where you can get kind of flaky and some kind of strange things can happen. And yet it really is my belief in over 30 years of ministry that whatever you may believe, there is still way too much bondage and oppression in the lives of God's people. That's one thing I can tell you for sure. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, the Bible says, so every one of us still needs freedom from time to time in our lives. We need freedom at different stages in our lives. We need uh, freedom in different areas where the Lord wants to bring spiritual growth. Because as we shared last week from 2 Timothy chapter 2, as wonderful as our salvation is, the Lord has so much more. He doesn't want us just to be saved from our sin and then sit on our keister. Can I say keister? And, and go to heaven one day. It, it's a Greek word meaning, you know, soft spot or something. Um, softer for some than others. Um, that's not the purpose of being saved. The purpose of us being saved, as Paul says, is that we might become of use to the master. It's having received freedom that we might minister freedom to others, that we may go and share the gospel and be the presence of Jesus wherever we go. We can edit that part of the sermon, can't we? Now, let me say this from the very beginning, that I have found that probably the greatest enemy I face in my walk with God is not the devil. It's me. It's my will, it's my personality, it's my pride. The difference between deliverance from the demonic and deliverance from self is that a person can be set free from the enemy when simply the devil is identified and cast out. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but there's times in my life where I, I kind of wish that I could just kind of cast myself out. You ever feel that way? Like, Lord, I just wish I could just <laughs> get rid of this thing once and for all. And it really has to do more with yourself. But I want us to understand that deliverance from self does not happen in one instance like deliverance from the demonic. Deliverance from self happens when I choose to walk in obedience to what I discover in the Word of God to be true. That's how I get free of myself. That's how I grow up. That's how I become stronger in the things the Lord wants to teach me. Deliverance from self requires self-discipline. It requires ongoing faith. That means doing the things that the Lord is showing me to do or not doing the things that I shouldn't be doing. But since none of us like discipline, none of us really like, uh, you know, uh, uh, training or, or like correction, in a lot of Christian circles, uh, the topic of deliverance from self is not as popular as deliverance from the demonic. Now, we saw last week in Ephesians chapter 4, 27, Paul said this. He warns, do not give the devil a foothold. And he's talking to Christians. Another translation says, do not give the devil a way to defeat you. In other words, there are things we can do or not do that allow the enemy to have access in our life where we basically give him opportunity. And we find most times that comes in areas of obedience and disobedience rather. We need to understand this, my friends. Obedience to the word of God is not an option. It's an option in that you have free will and free choice, but it's not without consequence. When we deliberately disobey or ignore what God is saying to us, we give place to demonic influence in our life that will begin to set up shop. In fact, another word for demon, being uh, demonized is actually the word literally means a demon-induced passivity. And there are a lot of folks who are very passive in their faith, and they think that they actually are passive because 
They've got this Christian thing worked out. Me and God have a good thing going. Everything's okay. I can come and go as I want. They don't realize that actually through their disobedience to what God is speaking to them and wants to do in their life, that the enemy has actually lulled them to sleep. They're not spiritual. They're not pious. They are spiritually duped and passive. So it's not without consequence we just do our own thing. There are always consequences. There's always areas that we give up to our lives to the enemy in those areas. Now, last week, we also talked about demonic possession. And we explained that once you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you cannot be possessed by a demon at one and the same time that is in your spirit. You cannot be possessed. In fact, it's interesting not to split hairs, but it's interesting the Scripture talks about demonic possession in the sense of when a person is possessed in their spirit of basically losing control. The Spirit of God does not possess you. He indwells you. He indwells you. He doesn't just take over and make you do things you don't want to do. He indwells you and invites you to partner with him in what he wants to do in your life. So if the Spirit of God lives within you, you cannot be possessed at the same time by the demonic. But you can be demonically harassed in a number of ways at the level of your soul. And that's called being demonized. And what that means is the enemy finds a way to get a hook into your soul. What is your soul? Your soul is essentially the seat of your mind, your will, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts. That's where the enemy can get a hook. And that's why the Word of God says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Why? As your mind is renewed, then you will know what is the good and perfect will of God for you in every situation. There will come clarity in place of confusion. So again, this is not to split hairs, but when demonic strongholds are referred to only as possession, the problem with that is we think of possession in either or terms. You know, either a person is possessed or they're not possessed. Either the devil's working in their life or he's not working in their life. The word demonized is different. It has to do with recognizing there are varying degrees to which a person can relinquish control in their lives. Varying degrees to which the enemy is able to work in your life, and we'll look at a couple of those. In fact, when it comes to the matter of any sin, we need to understand, my friends, and I could park on any of these points here this morning and go on and on, but we need to understand there's no such thing as big sins, little sins. There's no such thing as big demons, little demons. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, the thief, the devil has come for one purpose, to break into your life, to steal from you, to kill, that is to rob life, and to destroy the devil's goal in any sin in your life and mine ultimately is to devastate your life. That is his ultimate goal. And wherever you give place to sin, what happens is that systematic dismantling begins to work in you. It works in the way you think, the choices you make, what you give yourself to, whether you waste your life or invest your life for God. All those things are symptomatic of the degrees to which the enemy gets a foothold. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew, he said, if the light that is within you becomes darkness, how great is that darkness? For you who know the Lord and know his freedom to allow darkness to creep back in. James said, people are tempted when their own evil desire leads them away and traps them. This desire leads to sin, and then the sin what? It grows. It grows and ultimately suffocates that life. Now, another thing I want us to understand when it comes to the demonic is a demonic foothold can also have access to your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions through the sin 
of somebody else. What I mean by that is this, and oftentimes it's not intentional, but through somebody who has authority in your life, uh, somebody who actually has authority to speak into your life or shape your life. It can be your parent, it can be your guardian, it can be your employer, it can be a close friend, someone that you think of and hold in a place of authority. That person, their own sin, whether willing or not, can actually be an entry point for the demonic in your mind. For example, Proverbs 18 says that death and life are where? In the power of the tongue. What you say, your words, can either sustain life or they can suffocate life in another person. How many believe that? Somebody once said, and say it with me, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know what? That person probably never grew up being called stupid. Probably never grew up being told they were ugly, being told they were useless, being told they would never amount to anything. They probably never had somebody speak into their life in anger and say, you always do such and such. You never do such and such. You see, people sometimes haven't grown up with that and don't appreciate the incredible damage that can happen in a person's life through the missteps of somebody else. One of the things that I've appreciated so much about my wife Vanessa over the years is that she really has modeled for me, because we're very different personality types, and I thank the Lord for catching this lesson early, but she has modeled to me how important it is when speaking to our boys, uh, whether reacting to something or, or just responding in some way, how important it is to be very measured in our words, to be very thoughtful in the things that we say because of what we have the potential to speak into their lives. Moms and dads, hear me this morning. I believe we have more potential than the devil himself to harm our children by the words we speak to them, by the looks that we give to them even when we're not speaking, or perhaps things that we don't say to them, words that enter deep into their mind and their heart and their soul, and they can be used by the enemy to scar them. They can be used by the enemy to shape them in a way that God never intended for many, many years to come. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I can promise you if I did, many hands would go up, and you might be 40 years of age, 60, 80, 90 years of age, and you can still remember something that was said to you. Whenever you step out to do something, a word comes to your mind, something somebody said, and it just shuts you down. It has become your identity. Not because of anything wrong you have done, but because of a wrong that has been done to you and you did not have the understanding at the time to identify that lie in the light of God's word and reject it, but instead you allowed it to get into your soul. And the enemy found a place to set up shop and to shape you from there. I'll never forget a story I once heard a lady tell. She was in her 60s and she said how when she was a little girl, she used to just, she was so happy-go-lucky, just a joyful child, lived on the farm, and she was always skipping around and singing. She loved to sing. One day, she was just skipping through the kitchen. She was only like six years of age, skipping through the kitchen and singing, and she didn't know what was going on at that time, whether her mother was having a bad day or she was stressed or whatever it may be. Her mother's at the sink doing the dishes, and she skipped through the kitchen singing. Her mother turned to you and said, stop singing. You drive me crazy. You can't carry a note in a bucket. And she said, I never sing again as a child. I never sing again as a child. She said, I came to Christ years later and said, I've come to church and I'd sit in the pew and I would sing, but it would just be enough that I could hear and the Lord could hear me kind of thing. I didn't sing very loud. She said, one day I was sitting there singing and a lady beside me, a young girl I'd never met before, she said, she leaned over and she said, ma'am, she said, you have a beautiful voice. You should be singing in the choir. 
And this elderly lady now, she, just, she kind of protested politely, but the young girl didn't let go. She pushed further, pushed further, and eventually the older lady opened up and told her story. And that young lady had the wisdom and the spiritual discernment to recognize what had happened and what the, what the enemy had done and how, how just a demonic lie had lodged itself in that dear lady's heart. And she shared that with this woman who, whose eyes just opened and said, you're right, that's what it was. Together they prayed, they came against that stronghold, they renounced it. She was completely set free just by the truth of God's word, receiving God's truth. And the next thing she did is she joined the choir and just thrived in the gift that God had given to her to know and to use for his glory. Now, when we refer to the demonic, it's not for the purpose of being sensational. I want to be clear on that. It's for the purpose of us being reminded that we have an enemy who always works under the cloak of darkness. That's where he lives. That's where he thrives. That's where he works. And his success, his success always depends entirely upon his ability to remain unrecognized to remain at least, uh, you know, unacknowledged. Oh, yeah, well, I believe in the devil, I believe in the demonic or so on, but that kind of stuff is a little bit flaky, and the devil says, that's right. You know what, in fact, he's telling you to think that way because he doesn't want to be exposed. He wants to stay where he is, and he wants to wreak havoc in a person's life. In fact, you know that we live in a society that just so foolishly uh, depicts the devil as this cartoon character in red pajamas and a pitchfork, and that's the extent of what they think the devil is. But you know what I find, even in the body of Christ, there are many Christians who can be just as naive when we address issues purely on the human level when many times they are demonically masterminded. That's why the Bible says we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. Paul says we understand that there's a devil, there are demons. We understand how they work. We don't go hunting for them, but when the Holy Spirit reveals them through his word or a word of knowledge, we don't shy away. We confront, we renounce, we cast out, and we just walk in freedom. Because it's a reality. Now, most times, let's be honest, most times these footholds begin in the natural. These footholds begin in things that we do or things that we say or things we have done to us, as I just explained. But here's the key. When we make the choice to respond to these things in the flesh rather than by the Spirit, the devil will use that fleshly response as an entry point to our life. For example, that's why Paul says in the context of Ephesians 4, he says that in your anger, do not sin. In other words, there's nothing wrong at the right time. There's an appropriate time to be angry, but there's such a thing as a fleshly anger. Don't do that. If you're angry, make sure it's a righteous anger. Make sure it's controlled. Make sure it's spirit-led. It's dealing with what God wants to deal with. Don't allow the flesh to get in there. How many times have you felt a voice say to you or the Holy Spirit's prompting, don't say that. Don't say what you're thinking. Don't do what you feel to do. And what oftentimes is your first response? But I want to. Isn't it? Or, or, you know, if we're bold enough, you know, the Lord says, don't because this will happen. And being spiritual, we say, I don't care. I want my pound of flesh. And you see, when you go for your pound of flesh, you will get flesh. And when you're after flesh and you move in the flesh, that is where the demonic finds an access point. It doesn't mean that you start throwing up green stuff. It doesn't mean your head spins around. It doesn't mean you float off the ground. It means the devil comes with a little fish hook on a twine, and he gets that hook into that part of your personality, that part of your being, and what does he have now? He has the ability to tug whenever he wants. He knows your buttons. 
He knows how to get you to step into the flesh, operate in the flesh. Why? That you never experience the freedom the Holy Spirit wants to bring or the freedom the Holy Spirit wants to channel through you in ministering to other people around you. And I have found in years of ministry the two occasions where we are most susceptible to the devil's manipulations are in times of trauma and in times of transition. Times of trauma, for example, can include the death of a loved one. That's a very vulnerable time. It can include times of maybe going through a divorce. It can be devastating to you or to your children. Times of natural disaster or times of deep hurt or disappointment. Times of trauma where basically our nerves are raw. Our spirit can be raw. That's why it's so important that whatever trauma we're going through, that we come to the Lord. Whatever doubts, whatever anger, whatever emotions we're going through, it is so important, like Jesus did the night before his crucifixion. What did he do? He brought all of it into God's presence. Friends, hear me. Bring your worries to Jesus. Bring your anger. Bring your fear. Bring your emotions. Whatever you're going through. The Lord doesn't say, hey, you can't do that. He says, hey, I understand. But bring them to me. Why? Because I want you to process everything you're thinking, everything you're going through. I want you to process it in the truth of my light, my presence, my word, so that you can stay free. If you process it in the flesh, the enemy is just salivating, waiting for you to do that because he can see a whole lot of ways to get into your life, into your relationship, whatever it may be, and begin to set up shop. Also, times of transition are very, very vulnerable times. For example, early school years for your children, when they're learning who they are and making friends and trying to shape their identity. In times when a child is going through puberty, the hormones, all that goes on there. Pregnancy, I won't say much about that. Menopause. Midlife, there's a reason why men buy red convertibles and women dye their hair blonde. Or they get their wives, you know, I don't know, I'm just teasing, you know, whatever. Whatever you want to get. But those are times that we are very susceptible to change and to the enemy using our emotions and, and again, even just physiological stuff to try to find access into our life. But these are times when people accept changes in outlook and behavior. Hear me, friends. These are times when we accept a change in the way that we act, the way that we think, and so on. And, and we accept those as what's really going on, and we miss what's really going on. The devil uses these times to cleverly slide in and take control of our identity, of our viewpoint, because during these times, most people expect certain things. Hear me on this, saints. We live in a world that says when this happens, well, this is the normal way to behave. When this happens, this is the normal way to feel. When this, you understand what I'm saying? That's just the norm. And so as we go through things, whatever they may be, oftentimes we go through them just like people that have no hope, that have no options. But we have options. We have the truth of God's word. We have the Holy Spirit. But what happens oftentimes when we go through those things, we expect depression. We expect doubt and setbacks and defeats as just natural things that come along with these challenging times. We just accept it. And, and I see it all the time in, in, in things people go through in the body of Christ. We just give place to what they call syndromes, whether it's depression or dysfunction. How many times do we hear ourselves saying, well, all marriages go through their ups and downs. You know, well, half marriages end in divorce anyway. Well, all kids go through this when they turn 14. Oh, you hear what I'm saying? And so because it's the norm in a fallen world that doesn't know Christ, we think it's a norm for the people of God, and it's not. 
It doesn't mean that we won't confront some of the same things or go through some of the same challenges. But friends, we have a God who can heal. We have a God who can sustain. We have a God who can give strength. We have a God who can pour in peace. We have a God who gives us the gifts of the Spirit, one of which is self-control. We have those options as the people of God. And though the stress points may vary, the devil's strategy is exactly the same. It is to sell you a socially acceptable name for bondage so you accept it as the norm. And it's not meant to be. Freedom in Christ is available to every one of us in order to transition through every season of life, not with fear, but with faith that brings an opportunity to grow from season to season. We can embrace those seasons. Friends, if you're getting older, give it up. You don't have to try to become young again and all that foolishness. Embrace the season that you are in and thank God for the fullness and the fruitfulness he intends in that season. Now, John said that when Jesus found the money changers in the temple, he says, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all over the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, and he told them who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Again, it was just a week after Jesus had been baptized. He started his ministry. He did the miracles, the wedding feast, but this is important. This is the very first act that Jesus performed as the anointed of God. When he came to his people, Israel, he came to Jerusalem at the temple. It's his first act was to cleanse the temple. He fulfilled Psalm 69, which says, Zeal, or passion, has consumed me, O God, for your house. That was the Lord's heart. It was out of his desire to see God's house restored to its original purpose that Jesus passionately cleansed the temple that day. Friends, here's the, here's the connection that we want to lay hold of this morning. Jesus Christ, when he comes to you, he comes with the same passion. He comes with the same clear purpose. When he comes to you, he comes for the purpose of ridding your life of every trace of darkness. That's where he comes to you. And he doesn't come just with a soft, gentlemanly voice that says, you know, it'd be nice to get rid of that. I believe he just comes with a passion. You need to get rid of that. You need to be free. I want to set you free. There's passion in his ministry toward us. If you know Jesus Christ, then you also know that you are his dwelling place. What does that mean? It means this. You can be as close to Jesus as you want to be. You can be as used by Jesus as much as you want to be. So you've got to stop doubting. You've got to start entering in. That's why Paul said that your body is what? Read it with me. The temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. How many believe that? Well, friends, may I suggest if that really is the case, then when Jesus comes to you, there are probably tables he wants to overthrow. There are things in your life that he wants to chase out of your life. Why? Because the devil tries to set up his money changes in your life to take advantage of you and to exploit you. He will exploit your wants. He will exploit your woundedness. He will exploit your weaknesses. Why? Because he wants to turn your heart from God. It doesn't mean you leave the Lord and serve the devil. It just means you're not doing anything for God. You basically, in your heart, you have just walked away from God. You may do church, you may whatever, you know, the lifestyle, things you don't do, but your heart is far from God. That is his goal. Now, by the time that Jesus arrives in Israel, those who should have been preparing God's people to receive the Messiah, they instead were caught up in all of this greed. 
and all of this corruption going on in the temple courts in that time. The temple had become, rather than a place of peace and a place where somebody could come and hear from God and worship God, the temple had become a noisy, smelly, exasperating place where worship was just an exhausting exercise and a mockery to God. And I know some of you here this morning, you come to church or you don't go to church very often because you think, you know what, it's just tiring. You know, I just get more, you know, I get more in nature or I get more whatever it may be. You see, what's going on in your heart is you've allowed so much clutter and so much noise, so much that is not of God that you've just lost the peace of God. And, And you don't have peace when you come because when you come, you come with all the noise and all the clutter and you're not focused on the God who wants to set you free. And it wants to pour peace into your life. People came to the temple in Jesus' day to get right with God. But instead they were taken advantage of and they left unchanged. And so please understand, Jesus' anger is not against the people who had come to worship God. Jesus' anger was against the liars and manipulators who occupied a place in God's temple where they did not belong. That's where his anger was. And friends, I believe it's a perfect picture of the child of God whose temple is so cluttered with unclean spirits, so cluttered with lies and manipulations that make a mockery of your worship of God. And that's why the devil never lets up in harassing you and trying to steal the joy of the Lord from you. You've heard the, you've heard the expression that God loves the sinner, hates the sin. That's truer than we know. It is so true we were created to be the dwelling place of God and Jesus wants to cleanse us for that purpose he wants us to know what it really means to be indwelt by the spirit of God and yet when these footholds are tolerated in our lives as James says they grow and they grow into strongholds most of you know this but the animals that were being offered that's one of the reasons why Jesus was so upset The animals that were being offered for the sacrificial system were not the spotless best animals as God had instructed because they they were to be representative of the Messiah, the spotless lamb Jesus, who was to come to take away our sin. But instead in Jesus' day, they were using the weakest animals and the sickest ones in the herd. But here's another important thing. The fact that people were actually using those animals when they knew better, it actually reflected their own hearts, hearts that lacked faith to believe or received from God. So here's what was happening. The people of God, the Jews, were coming to worship God. They just picked up whatever animal they could buy, didn't worry about whether or not it qualified. They went through the motions of worship at the temple, but there was no confidence in their heart that God actually heard them, that God actually was forgiving their sin, and they had a relationship with God who was passionate about them. And friends, I want us to understand that's what happens. When we allow the enemy to set up shop, and it may not be in things that you can just identify right now, but it could just be in your passivity and your indifference or your lack of confidence when you come before God. You don't bother praying, not because you don't believe prayer is important. You just don't think God hears you anymore, or you don't think you're qualified for God to hear you anymore, or the devil brings something to your mind and says, God doesn't want to hear from you because of this. Whatever he uses to shut you down, if you allow him to set up shop in the marketplace of your mind, the one thing he will do is he will create a lot of distracting noise. And you just find it hard to hear the voice of God. And he will use your weaknesses, he will use your woundedness just to create this sense of confusion and condemnation. Am I alone in this, or can anybody relate? That's what he does. And what we're talking about this morning, friends, we want to do business this morning. 
And the reason we're talking about this is because we want to expose the lies of the enemy. And we want to say by the grace of God that not one person will leave this sanctuary this morning without a sense of clarity and of cleansing and of confidence in knowing you who you are as a child of God and kickstarting your relationship with him and also what you have to minister to those around you who need the money changers driven out of their lives. I love the words of Jesus, simple words. He just said this. He said, my peace. I give to you. My peace I give to you. And when you allow the Lord by the Holy Spirit to drive the money changes out of your lives, what you're going to discover is you're no longer going to be focused upon your hurts or your needs. You're going to be focused upon the one who just wants to love you into wholeness. I was saying to Jason last night, we were talking, he shared this, and I said, actually, I felt the Lord say the same thing to me. There have been some things over these past several weeks that I've just been in prayer about, whatever the case may be, and, and, and then just a thought will come to my mind we're just, where I just know it's the enemy again just trying to get a hook, trying to get a hook. Now, when the devil does that, you can be thinking, oh, man, nothing's changed. I'm just the same. I shouldn't be having these thoughts. But you know what? The Holy Spirit just dropped a simple word in my heart. He said, Paul, thank the Lord that that's no longer an issue. Doesn't mean the enemy won't keep trying, but every time he does, you just say, Lord, thank you. That's not an issue anymore. Thank you, devil, for reminding me the Lord has set me free. There's a new dimension of freedom that I'm walking and that I'm living in, and I don't want to be entangled again. You know, one of the primary reasons strongholds remain in a believer's life is because Satan works in the dark. Hear me, friends. He works in the dark, and it is only the light of the Word of God and His truth that is able to shed light on those lies and expose them. But here's the problem, and I say this kindly. The majority of believers today never open their Bibles. They do not read the Word of God today, and so they remain bound in the lies. There are other believers who maybe read the Word or know what the Holy Spirit is talking about in certain areas that they need to repent of, they need to renounce, they need to be set free of, but they just don't bother. You know what happens? If you don't address those footholds in your life, the walls begin to thicken, and they actually become strongholds in your life that get a whole lot more difficult to dislodge. And as those walls become thicker and thicker, you become more desensitized to the voice of the Holy Spirit until your conscience actually is seared in that particular area. Now, please understand, to be seared does not mean you're cut off. It doesn't mean cut off. To be seared means to be cauterized. And cauterized simply means this, that when you do not repent of your sin, or when you believe the lies that people have spoken into your life, rather than confronting them and casting them out, what happens is you begin, not that you're losing your salvation, but you lose your sensitivity to God's word to you, and to God's truth to you, and what he truly has for you. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Very interesting. In the Greek language, the word for soul is suke. Suke. Suke is actually the root, the prefix of our English words psychology, which has to do with the study of human behavior, and psychiatry, which has to do with the study of human disorders, mental emotional disorders. I find that fascinating. Isn't that interesting? That at the level of our soul, that's, where, that's what psychology is, the psychiatry. It's the study of the human soul, the center of our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. The Word of God says, listen, many things that we pass off as psychological, now please understand me clearly, just like you can have a broken arm, you can physiologically have something wrong with your brain. It's tissue, it's a physical part of your being, it's an organ. You can have something wrong with that. 
but there are many things that come along as psychological disorders that are rooted in the soul and can have demonic origins. They can be used by the enemy. There are things that you have embraced, things that you have believed. I mean, even the field of psychiatry, psychiatry acknowledges the power, for example, of words spoken into a child's life, don't we? We recognize that. Well, the Bible taught that long time before the, before the discipline of psychiatry and psychology. In any case, you can see how they're kind of tied together. It's important for us to understand that. So it's no, co it's no coincidence that the most common access point for the demonic to the area of your soul is through experiences that involve either your emotions, either hurt, anger, depression, disappointment, offense. Friends, it can also involve entry points of excitement and exhilaration. We all know people who have, who have addictions to adrenaline, adrenaline junkies we call them, or sexual addictions and cravings, just the natural or wealth, mammon, whatever. There's all different ways on the positive side, we would think, where the enemy could find access and say, here's where you find real joy. Here's the key to life, and he can find access in those areas. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is alive and active. Read the rest with me. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts all the way through where the soul and spirit, isn't that interesting? The soul and spirit meet. It judges the thoughts and desires of the heart. You must be in the word of God. If the word of God is not part of your life, you're a sitting duck. You will stay passive, you will stay ineffective, you will stay bound in many ways, and you will continue to live a Christianized secular life, basically what it is. You will live a Christianized carnality. You will still basically operate in the flesh, in the way you think, in the things you do and don't do, because that's where you're controlled. What God is saying is this, my word is alive and full of power. It is a sword that when the word of God gets into you, it is a sword that pierces right into the center of your being. And what the Lord will do by his word is he will show you all those areas where your emotions, your feelings, your cravings, whether physically, whether mentally, whatever the case may be, where they have gotten their claws into your spirit and told you lies of who you are or who you aren't or who God is or what God can't do through you. And surgically through the word of truth, he will begin to take those claws out of your spirit that your spirit might be free, that might rise up in faith and say, in Jesus' name, devil, I know who I am. I know who God is. I know what he asks of me. I know what he has for me. And your spirit puts into submission all of your thoughts and feelings. And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's all it is. It means day by day, decision by decision, is you say, Lord, what does your word say to do? What would you have me do? Despite what I feel, despite what somebody does to me, there is a way of life and a way of death. Lord, I choose life. I want to stay in life. I want to stay free. And you say to your soul, you say to your, 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 um, your, your emotions, your feelings, you say in the name of Jesus, regardless of how you feel, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm not going to do. And you keep your soul, you keep your body in submission to your spirit because your spirit is the only part that communicates with God. C.S. Lewis, I'll close with this, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fictitious correspondence between a master demon named Screwtape. This is a, a kind of a Broadway production of it. Screwtape and his nephew Wormwood. Wormwood has been assigned to his first Christian uh, to, uh, to tempt and torment the Christian. And so 
His uncle Screwtape is advising him on the finer art of demonizing, the best way to master Christians. And he says this. He says, listen, Wormwood, the problem we're facing now is that while we're learning better ways of attack, the enemy, he's speaking of Jesus and, and Christians, the enemy is learning better ways to withstand us. Christians everywhere are uncovering our methods. And the more they learn about how we work, the more they learn how to counter our assaults. So I want to warn you that we've got to be very ingenious because if Christians keep finding out who they are in Christ and keep building up the walls of defense against us, then hell help us. All heaven's going to break loose. Amen? How many can honestly say here this morning, Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing me to Jesus. I want to be completely free. Completely free. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me. Friends, only God knows what can happen when people find out who they really are. You've heard a lot about Kickstart and a lot about some of the ministry going on here at Glad Tidings in the past month and a half. Friends, it's not about being sensational. It's not about some new gimmick or emphasis for a little while. It's simply about the people of God just awakening to what it truly means to be the people of God and to walk in freedom. I believe God is doing a restoring work in His church by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as He does, one of the things you can expect to see, as Jesus promised, He said, for those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons. Amen? They will speak in new tongues, be gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. They will lay hands upon the sick and they will recover. And those are things that we're seeing and want to see more of to the glory of His name. But all that simply means is you know who you are in Jesus, you know how to live in His freedom, and you know how to minister that same freedom to people who want the money changers driven out of their lives. We've intentionally finished up early this morning because we want to give opportunity for ministry. And I want to encourage you, folks, are, we don't have a set time for when you slip out. That's up to you. But I want you to pretend that we usually finish church at 12. And so there's a good timeline to begin. And I want to encourage you to block out these next 20 minutes during this time of worship to do business with God. I want you to be serious with God this morning. And I want you to do three simple things. Will you say these words with me? Repent renounce and receive repent renounce and receive you can stay in your pew if you want I encourage you to come and find a place if you want if you want to receive ministry either right away or a little bit later on you come and people will be here to pray with you what do I mean by that number one repent I want you during the time of worship to say Holy Spirit show me any area of knowing disobedience that I've allowed in my life I want to repent of that I'm tired of agreeing with the devil I want to agree with you and say it's wrong. I don't want it anymore. You may be here this morning. You may be 80 years of age. You may be 15 years of age. And the Holy Spirit may bring something to you of a lie that somebody spoke into your life. Hurtful words, whatever it may be. Somebody else's sin to you. Somebody will hurt you. He will bring that to your mind. And you say, Holy Spirit, I repent. Not that I did anything wrong. I repent in receiving that lie as a truth. It's not true. I understand this morning in the light of your word, that's not who I am. That, you know, that, whatever reason that person did that or said that, that is not going to define me. I believe your word to who you say that I am. I repent of that lie. And then what do you do when you confess that? The Lord forgives and he begins to wash you away. 
in the authority of his name, you turn to the devil and you say, devil in Jesus' name, I renounce you. You no longer have place in my life. You no longer have place in that lie, in that hurt. I've forgiven whatever the case may be. That passivity, I've renounced it. I am alive to God and dead to the works of darkness. I'm alive to God. I renounce you. And then you just allow the Holy Spirit. You say, Holy Spirit, I receive you. I receive you afresh. Just come and fill me. Come and wash me. Come and strengthen me and all that he has for you. And you can come and have somebody just walk through that with you in prayer, or you can deal with the Lord in the place of worship in the pew and then come up and say, hey, I've walked through that between me and God. I've taken care of all that stuff. Now, would you just agree with me? I want to receive all that God has for me. And they're going to pray with you just to receive a fresh fullness or maybe for the first time, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will just come and free you and set you free. Amen? And begin to minister freedom through you. Is that okay this morning? Can we stand together?